if boats are supplanted by railroads, serious unemployment will result. Captains, cooks, drivers, hostlers, repairmen, and lock tenders will be left without means of livelihood. Not to mention the numerous farmers now employed in growing hay for horses. Two, boat builders would suffer and towline whip and harness makers would be left destitute. Three, canal boats are absolutely essential to the defense of the United States. In the event of the expected trouble with England, the Erie Canal would be the only means by which we could ever move the supplies so vital to waging modern war. As you may well know, Mr. President, railroad carriages are pulled at the enormous speed of 15 miles per hour by engines which, in addition to endangering life and limb of passengers, roar and snort their way through the countryside, setting fire to crops, scaring the livestock, and frightening women and children. The Almighty certainly never intended that people should travel at such breakneck speed. Sincerely yours, Martin Van Buren, Governor of New York, who became the eighth President of the United States. Change is fearful. And many times when we as Christians come to Christianity, we're faced with the fact that Christians are commanded to change. In Romans 12, Paul says, I urge you therefore, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that you may prove what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Paul begins Romans 12, 2 with a negative command, which Dave Doris last week uh, did a, a great job in, in covering. He says, do not be conformed to this world, this age. Don't allow the world around you to force itself, force you into its mold. But unfortunately, statistics show that there's very little difference in the Christian divorce rate and the secular divorce rate. There's very little difference in the Christian abortion rate and the secular abortion rate. There's very little difference in the lives of most people in the United States today, at any rate, who say that they are Christian. And Paul follows that negative command with a positive command. Be transformed. Paul has spent 11 chapters laying the theological groundwork for those two commands. And at the beginning of chapter 12, he says, I urge you, therefore, because of the 11 chapters laying out all the theological reasons, Paul says now, I urge you, and then there's a command, be transformed. He follows with the practical implications of becoming a true Christian. But what really does Paul mean when he says, be transformed? Well, first I think we need to look at the definition of the Greek word. It, it's literally a combination of two Greek words, meta and morphe, being changed into, as it were. It means to transform, either literally or figuratively. Metamorphosize 
is the word we would have. The word is translated change or transfigure or transform. As one commentator wrote, the entomologist, when he uses the term, envisages the transformation of the caterpillar through the chrysalis stage into the winged butterfly. It's a change of form and appearance from ugliness to beauty. But it also suggests a change of habits and manner of life. We all know that transformation. We all think in terms of that metamorphosis of the caterpillar into the beautiful butterfly. But how is the word used in scripture? Are there any clues that we might have from other uses? Well, in Matthew 17, 2, that word is used. And that's the story of the, the transfiguration. If you remember, all three Gospels uh, talk about the fact that Jesus went up to the Mount of Transfiguration. And Matthew 17, 2 says, And he was transfigured before them, and his face shone like the sun, and his garments became white as light. We word studies in talking about that word that we translate transfigured or transformed. It says, The usual manner of our Lord's outward expression during his humiliation, his life here on earth, was that of the man, Christ Jesus, a man of sorrows and of grief. The itinerant preacher and teacher from Nazareth dressed in the homespun of a Galilean peasant. But here, our Lord allows the glory of the essence of his deity that came from his inner being as deity and was representative of him as such to shine through his human body. This radiance caused his face to shine and his garments to appear as the sun. Jesus literally shone from the inside out. His garments shone like, like lightning, like white. His face was beaming like the sun. And the disciples were just amazed at the glory of the Lord shining through him. And that word is used of that transfiguration or transformation. Weiss continues, Paul therefore says in effect to the saints, to you and I, change your outward expression from that which you had before salvation, an expression which came from your totally depraved nature and was representative of it, to an expression which comes from your regenerated inner being and is representative of it. In other words, we, we can't glow from inside, our face can't shine, but we can certainly act and behave and think and be different from the world around us where people go, wow, something's different about that person. I want to know what that is. The other use of the word is in 2 Corinthians chapter 3, verse 18, where Paul says, but we all, with unveiled face, beholding as in a mirror the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from glory to glory, just as from the Lord, the Spirit. We all, through the power of God, are being changed. That's a process that we call sanctification. The Spirit works in our lives as we get closer to God, as we pray, as we study His Word, as we're involved in worship and in fellowship. We are changed by the power of God, and people see us as different. We've been with the Lord. When Moses went up on the mountain, to receive the, the Ten Commandments. You remember that he was in the presence of God. And when he came back down, his face literally shined 
The, the Hebrew says that his, he horned. By the way, that's the where we get the, if you look at the pictures of the, the Old Testament saints, you'll see the, the light coming out from their head, the, that halo and that light. And, and by the way, that's where Lucifer, the angel of light, uh, came and people came up with the idea of horns. He was literally horning. But Moses covered his face because the people were so afraid. He wore a veil because that just literally frightened them because he was so different. That's the kind of idea that we need to work toward. Clark's commentary says that the word apply, implies a radical, thorough, and universal change, both outward and inward. And the verb there, the word is in imperative. It's a command. It's in the present tense. And it's in the passive voice. Therefore, it means that we are commanded to be continuously, present tense, be transformed. It's something that happens to us, not something that we can do ourselves. We cannot transform ourselves. The world will tell you that you can set your mind to something and you can be anything you want to be. That's the way I was raised. My father taught me that from the, from the time I could remember. You can be anything you want to be. But I learned you can't. But God can change you. Be, let yourself be transformed. We must place ourselves at God's disposal for His transforming mercies. It's in the light of His glory. Just as Moses' face was transformed and shown, it's in the light of the glory of Jesus Christ that we are transfigured. There's a story told of an American who went over to Paris and wishing to buy his wife a little gift, purchased a phosphorescent mother-of-pearl matchbox container. And the beauty of it was that in the dark, it was said to radiate a wonderful light. He packed it in his trunk, took it home to the USA, and after the family welcome dinner, asked for the lights to be put out. In the dark, he took the little matchbox container from his pocket to present it to his wife. But when he looked at it, it was as black as the darkness around him. Then he said, that is just what they palm off on foreigners. I've been swindled. Next day, his wife, a bit curious, discovered on the box a few words in French. She took it down to some friends who had a French maid and had it translated. That night, in the darkness, the little box was all aglow. For she had followed the directions written on the box, which said, If you keep me all day long in the sunlight, I will shine for you all night long in the darkness. You see, in the dark, we are as dark as our surroundings. If we allow ourselves to be forced into the mold of the culture around us, we are no different. We do not stand out. You can't tell a Christian from the secular world. But in the light of the love of Jesus Christ, we are transformed and become a light to the darkness around us. Well, what does such a transformation look like practically? Peter Jones in Capturing the Pagan Mind, by the way, I recommend that book to everybody. It's fabulous. Um, in Capturing the, the, the Pagan Mind describes the essence of such a change. I want to read to you what he says. The traffic has slowed to a crawl. The rubberneckers cannot resist. 
On the main road into Damascus, an accident victim lies helpless and blinded. He's not any old commuter, but Saul, the infamous public prosecutor, carrying arrest warrants from the high priest to imprison Christians and wipe out their heretical faith. This arrogant protege of the Jewish leadership lies in the gutter, holding up traffic. What kind of event was it that brought this brilliant career to a screeching halt? What took the top of the class to the bottom of the pile? That something earth-shaking happened, no one can deny. Scholars have debated for centuries about what really happened on the Damascus Road, but no one contests the dramatic change. Saul became Paul. The Jew became a Christian. The representative of the high priest became an apostle of Jesus Christ, and the proud careerist became a humble servant. In losing everything associated with his past, Paul loses all sense of being an up-and-coming star. His self-understanding is radically changed so that he will say that his goal is no longer to promote himself, but to know and promote Christ. From a brilliant young man who was eager to climb the social ladder, Paul gave up thinking of himself as the first and accepted a position at the end of the parade and the last. From a life of boasting implicitly and explicitly about his achievements, Paul now boasts in his weakness. He calls himself the worst of sinners, 1 Timothy 1.16, and the least of the apostles, 1 Corinthians 15.9. Following this event, Paul becomes a stunning early example of the saying of Jesus, the first will be last, and many who are last be first, Matthew 19.30. The changes were so radical in Paul's life that his entire worldview and thinking process was turned inside out. That kind of dramatic change is a certain indication, as well as we can determine in this life, of salvation in a person's life. You may not have experienced that, and I don't want to put anybody down, but we need to be different. You need to stand out in a crowd. When God saved Israel out of bondage in Egypt, he commanded them to change their appearance and their behavior. The men could not cut the corners of their beards. The people could not wear wool and linen together. They had to wear tassels on the corner of their garments. Every male had to be circumcised. The people could not eat certain foods. They were commanded to not be conformed to the world, to not be like the cultures around them. They were commanded to be transformed. You see, God is calling you as Christians to be transformed, not to be like the world around you, not to do the things that your unsaved neighbors do. Not to do things simply because it's easier to do them than to stand out in a crowd. God is calling you to be different than the world around you. But sadly, that is not the case for most Christians. George Barna, Christian demographer, has a whole list of stuff. I want to go through some of it. Compared to 63% of all adults, 
86%, now remember, 85% of people in America say they are Christian. Compared to 63% of all adults, 86% of born-again Christians believe the Bible is totally accurate in all its teaching. But that means that 14% do not believe the Bible. 77% of born-again Christians, people who would identify themselves as born-again, believe that they personally have a responsibility to tell other people their religious beliefs. Yet many do not do so. Nearly all born-again Christians, 98%, say their religious faith is very important in their life compared with 52% of all adults. Yet their behavior, sadly, demonstrates that it's not very important. Half of all born-again Christians, 46%, agree that Satan is not a living being, but a symbol of evil. Half of all people who identify themselves as born-again Christians don't believe that Satan is real. Yet the Bible teaches that he is. About one-third of born-again Christians believe that if a person is good enough, they can earn a place in heaven, in spite of the fact that Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father but through me. 28% of born-again Christians agree that while he lived on earth, Jesus committed sins like other people. 28%, almost a third of people who identify themselves as born-again Christians. 15% of born-again Christians claim that after he was crucified and died, Jesus did not return to life physically. They think he's still dead. About one in four, 26% born-again Christians believe that it doesn't matter what faith you follow because they all teach the same lessons. By a three-to-one margin, 64% to 22% adults said truth is always relative to the person and their situation. One-third of born-again adults say that abortion is a morally acceptable behavior. One-third of people who identify themselves as born-again Christians believe that it's okay to take the life of their unborn child. 30% of all adults consider having a sexual relationship with someone of the same sex a morally acceptable behavior. Is it any wonder we're having homosexual marriage and other things? 14% of elders, these are different age groups, 32% of boomers, 41% of busters, and 40% of mosaics consider having a sexual relationship with someone of the same sex a morally acceptable behavior. About half of all adults, 49%, contend that homosexuality is due to non-genetic factors such as upbringing and environment. One-third say that people are born homosexual. 4% of Christians and 3% of non-Christians said they had consulted a medium or spiritual advisor other than a minister within the past month. 4% of Christians, in spite of the fact that the Bible condemns it. On and on and on and on. Truly, truly sad. Be transformed. Be different. As a Christian, you must let God transform you. Ephesians 4, 21 through 24, in today's English version, says, As his followers, you were taught the truth that is in Jesus. So get rid of your old self, which made you live as you used to, 
the old self that was being destroyed by its deceitful desires. Your hearts and minds must be made completely new, and you must put on the new self, which is created in God's likeness and reveals itself in the true life that is upright and holy. What scripture teaches that we must do is get rid of that old self, that old self that wants to look after me, 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 that old self that wants to do things that seem to be enjoyable, that that list of stuff that I just read, and put off that old self and put on the new self. You are a new creation in Christ Jesus. Therefore, be transformed. Act like it. You must be changed by God as Saul was changed. Stop doing the things you know are displeasing to God. How do you know those things? Read God's Word. I don't know how many Christians I've talked to over the years that don't read the Bible. Most pastors don't read the Bible. They study the Bible for their sermons, but they don't sit out in the morning and read the Bible for their devotional. And sadly, most Christians do not either. Read God's Word. It will show you what is pleasing to God and what is not pleasing to Him. Pray that He will give you wisdom in how to serve Him. James says, do you lack in wisdom? Pray, and God will grant you wisdom. Pray that He will reveal His Word to you. As you dwell in the light, reflect the light of the Son of God into the darkness of the world, just as that little matchbox container reflected the light of the sun. You must resist the temptation to be like the world. Peter Jones, in Capturing the Pagan Mind, relates the following story. In the 1960s, Bill Bradley, in a tract distributed throughout the nation's universities by Athletes in Action, stated, the choice is simple. Between the eternal and the passing, between Jesus Christ and the world, I've made my choice I love Jesus Christ. How about you? By the 1990s, Bradley, ex-senator and presidential candidate, seems to have had a second conversion experience. He said this, Christianity offers one way to achieve inner peace and oneness with the world. Buddhism, Judaism, Islam, Confucianism, and Hinduism offer others. Increasingly, I resist the exclusivity of true believers. How sad that someone has allowed the world to force him into their mold. In John 14, 6, Jesus said, I, exclusive word, I am the way and the truth and the life. One, the Father but through me. You cannot get to heaven through the way of the world. Therefore, don't be conformed to the world. You cannot get to heaven with your own strength. Every other religion believes that. Every other religion in the world believes that you can work your way into heaven or whatever they call heaven. You can only get to heaven through the radical transformation that occurs in a personal relationship 
with Jesus Christ. And I pray that each and every one of you here this morning has had that personal relationship with Jesus Christ. If you haven't, come talk to me. Come talk to one of the elders. Talk to a Christian friend. And let us share with you how you can be like that little matchbox. And in the light of the sun, you can reflect the glory of the living God into the darkness of a sinful world. Let's pray together.